That's the other thing I've loved about this is it is six degrees of separation. And I feel like in COVID it's three degrees. So Kevin Bacon has a half brother somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Good and Grounded podcast, where we dig into the issues facing our Colorado community by talking with business and community leaders from around the state, and then highlighting one good way, one good way we can help our community and support one another. I'm Jim Licko. And I'm Laura Love. So we've been fortunate in the past few months to speak with leaders in our community that are managing some pretty big issues. And in this episode, we have the opportunity to connect with Deidre Johnson, who is the CEO and Executive Director of the Center for African American Health. She's been with CAA Health for the past five years and has an incredible resume that includes the Colorado Trust, Qualistar Early Learning Center, and a few other pretty important leadership positions within Urban League of Metro Denver, the Mile High Montessori Early Learning Centers, and the Colorado I Have a Dream Foundation. She's a Denver native and is apparently one smart cookie. She's a graduate of both Princeton and Yale. Johnson gives her time to too many community boards to name, and when she isn't changing the world at work, she is mom to two young men, Noah and Jordan. And from what I understand, they are somewhere in her house having just finished school today. Welcome, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. So it sounds like your organization has been working in the Colorado community for more than 20 years. Yes, so you're right. We've been around for um, actually since 1997. And our mission is the health and well-being of the African-American community. This includes classes like aging mastery for our seniors, diabetes self-management, diabetes prevention, blood pressure management, mental health first aid. Um, we're getting ready, getting ramped up to offer health coverage eligibility determination and enrollment assistance for um, Connect for Health Colorado. And we really work with partners throughout the year to provide health screenings. Right now, given COVID, we've been partnering with the city to host free COVID-19 testing events. And we're getting ready to plan with them um, a flu vaccination clinic for this fall. You mentioned COVID-19 testing the reports, you know, that are coming out both locally and throughout the country have, have, have shown disproportionately devastating data points for Black Americans. Um, you know, there are recent reports that say Black Americans are dying at nearly three times the rate of white people. What needs to be done right now to ensure that all people have the access to the resources they need to maintain and manage their physical and mental health, including affordable testing and then access to medical and mental health care? You know, one of the things I'm really pleased about Denver um, is they quickly pulled together a racial equity um, council that I sit on. And that's actually how we've been able to really help reduce barriers to getting tested, to getting more information out to community. Um, you're right, we're seeing not only disproportionate infection and fatalities within our community, but also within the Latinx community and the Indian tribes. But at the end of the day, I have to admit, COVID-19 is just amplifying entrenched health disparities that we've always known that have, have existed. You know, we know that poverty limits access to healthy foods, safe neighborhoods, more education is a predictor of better health, and communities with low income, unsafe neighborhoods, those are the ones that are going to experience poorer health. And we're at the point now, for the past 10 years, we've been even able to measure that by zip code. Um, one of the shortcuts that I use is 
just about any health indicator you name, ours is probably roughly three times as worse. But the interesting thing about it is that after you control for poverty and class, our health outcomes are still worse um, than white Americans. And so part of that is removing certain barriers. For instance, we're considered to be a part of the safety net, but a safety net should really be what the name implies. Something happens to you, you need a bit of support, you're bolstered up in a time of need. People shouldn't be living in the safety net and definitely not for generations. So that's a problem that we have. And the other piece is, you know, working to end systemic racism. You know, while I'm incredibly excited about the, the work that we do at the Center for African-American Health and I remain optimistic, I know it's not gonna be enough because we can't program our way out of this. Um, the racism and implicit bias is not gonna magically disappear. And until communities, cities, and states really force the conversation about how we can really work to dismantle institutionalized racism, we'll always be tinkering around the edges of the real issue. You, you had mentioned mental health just being such an important topic that the, the Center for African American Health has, has addressed head on. How has the pandemic um, affected mental health for kids of color? We recently received a grant to provide crisis counseling, and that was all related to COVID. So we've just hired additional staff. And we're also getting ready to partner with a new group that's a collaborative of therapists of color. And I'm excited about that because it's going to be our way of creating a culturally responsive mental health support system. So kind of from that start of, oh, something may be wrong and identified and someone screened to here's we're going to match you up not only with the therapist if you need it, but someone who looks like you and can kind of identify with what some of your struggles are. And I think for all of us, pre-COVID, we were already dealing with the toxic stress of living and trying to navigate institutional racism. And COVID is kind of an additional layer. I'll share personally that in May, I lost three cousins on the East Coast in a week. And, you know, the first one was a shock. And then the second one was a shock. And the third one, it was just surreal. And part of that aspect was, you know, they were living in Philadelphia, New Jersey, New York. And one was very specifically COVID. One was a surprise heart attack. None of them had the luxury of working from home. And so even though you know that you're safer doing certain things, you may not have the luxury of working at home. You know, when it comes to wearing masks, especially a lot of men and young men, because of how we're so easily profiled, really are not really looking forward to walking around in a mask, given what could possibly happen. So I think um, folks need to understand, especially if you don't have to experience it, racism is a type of stress that education and class provide no protection. It's an experience of having to work harder than anybody else just to get equal pay, equal respect, and that's if you're lucky. It's being followed around when you're shopping at a nice store, being stopped by the police when you're driving in a nice neighborhood, or simply because of a car you're driving. I'm excited that a lot of cities and states are beginning to declare racism a public health crisis, because it has been for generations. It hurts people, it kills people, the only path forward requires an end to inaction and indifference. And I think one of the silver linings about COVID is we've been witnessing um, the death of Black people very publicly, but that's always been happening. But since we're all stuck at home, 
you really can't look away. And so I'm inspired by, even when we were looking at the protest, just how diverse those crowds were and the fact that it was global, people saying this just has to stop. And as a mom of two teenagers who are young men, I have to honestly say I, I manage a low-grade terror every day. But the flip side is, you know, you can't stop living. Because if you do, those that would want to dehumanize you have already succeeded. So my goal as a parent has been to do my best to prepare my sons to navigate the world, think outside the box, never hide their brilliance, to remind them to never ever let others define who they are and what they're capable of. But I also know that comes naturally for me because that's how my own father raised my sister and I. And I guess what I'm trying to say is regardless of your life experience, you've got this toxic stress going. Deidre, you bring up a really good point. I mean, obviously I'm a white man, but it's there all the time for your community. It has been there all the time, this this constant threat. And recently, these experiences with police violence and things like that have been so magnified by social media, by camera phones and that type of thing. I have to imagine that adds some additional mental health stress, though, to see all of that play out and then to see you know, exactly what's happening how has that type of magnifying glass then also had an impact on mental health in, within your community? And then maybe to your point, what what are some ways parents can help their kids get through some of that stress? I'll give you a personal example. There was a young man at pandemic time, I forget the time frame, but earlier this year, a rising senior at South was shot at a party over the weekend. And I found out about it early Sunday morning because I saw it on Facebook I ran to my junior's room because I recognized that young man as a basketball friend of my youngest. And it was interesting because he already knew about it because the kids were up overnight. Like he knew, oh my goodness, this happened. Have you heard about what happened? Oh, he's at the hospital. Oh, he didn't make it. But the other thing that was hard to hear was, you know, this young man was an athlete and my son is because they used to play ball together. He was like, you know, mom, he was just at a party. That could have been me. Like he didn't do anything wrong. That could have been me, mom. And, you know, just being there and I would do a lot of listening. I used to, when they were younger, say, you know, when I was younger, X, Y, Z, but I stopped that in middle school because the world is so very different for them that I don't, don't do that anymore. I just keep communication open and listen. You know, I asked him if he needed anything. But the other sad thing about it is as shocking as it is for us, I think there's so much of it that it's less shocking for them now. You know, it's more of, oh, what just happened to who, not that it happened. And that that itself is heartbreaking. It's so interesting to think about how our kids are growing up, right? In the midst of all of this, and and you are, it sounds like a pretty incredible mom to two growing young men. But, you know, I think about these kids. I, I have a daughter that just graduated from high school and was planning to go to college this year and, and made, I think, a smart decision to take a, some time and work this fall and, and reconsider what it looks like for her. But you talked about the inequities, and, and I think about that in our education system and what this is doing to the kids, um, especially the African-American children. Talk to me about, you know, how you see this and how COVID has played a part in that. And then what can be done? How can we help? You know, it's interesting. So when you look at the education system, the same inequalities and bias. And in fact, and I was very public about this when I did it. So my sister and I had gone to St. Mary's. I had my sons there through fifth grade. 
I put them in middle school at DSST. And it was interesting. They just came back, you know, we don't like these teachers, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, you know, you'll run out of the teachers that you don't like. It's all about the education. Until I was really listening to them and then, you know, heard stories. And I started interviewing their friends, young black boys not being able to go to the bathroom. One seventh grade English teacher telling a young Muslim woman, get that rag off your head. And nothing was happening to these teachers. So I, I went on a mom war and I demanded their data. And it took me several months, but I was able to show, you know what, even though this is a very diverse um, conservatory green campus, and I think really they were just growing too fast. Even though this was a diverse campus, the third of the kids who were black had like 80%. It was a ridiculous percentage of disciplinary. And for goofy things, like talking in class, suddenly sent home. It was ridiculous. Proud to say that now that system, they hired an equity person who's really been working throughout the system. But I must admit, you know, that you have to go through that for a young teacher to know you shouldn't be the one causing harm is an issue. And I think, you know, whether you're looking at the medical system, the health system, just about every single system could use anti-bias training. One of the things I learned early on um, when I started working in children's health is, you know, we talk a lot about third grade reading being an important indicator when it comes to a child's ability to read. Before third grade, you're learning to read. After third grade, you're reading to learn. Well, the same thing can be said about your weight at age five. So if you have a little kid who's obese at age five, you already know they're likely to have high blood pressure, diabetes, like all these things. And so if we can just really work to create opportunities for people to be healthy, regardless of where they live, what they look like, um, what their zip code is, what their income is, we can really start to dismantle this really across all systems, I think. Our mutual connection, Benny Samuels, described you as one awesome sauce. Oh, I love Benny. And I think she's right. Um, you know, we, we always try to end each episode after helping our listeners get grounded in an issue in the community with talking to our guests about the good things that people can do to give back, to volunteer, to financially support different issues. Any top one or two pieces of advice on how somebody can do some good around this issue in our community? I'll mention two that is self-serving. So when it comes to, you know, when you think about time, treasure, and talent, when it comes to treasure, the center, we just moved into a new building and we're in the middle of the capital campaign. Um, it is going very well, but we still have the kind of the latter half of it to go. So really would love community support to making this happen. Not only does it help us grow our, our programs, but it really is a move towards sustainability. And then, you know, when you think about time and we talked about it during this pandemic, we've all had a wealth of time that we never anticipated. We've not been able to look away from the impact of the inequities that are surrounding us in our society. And so I think this is really a time to reflect on what type of world we want to live in and what we want to leave for our children. And so my ask regarding time was be for, um, folks to get to know someone who has a different life experience than they do, to get to know someone who may not look like them. And it was interesting, during a meeting yesterday, a virtual meeting, um, one of my staff shared a metaphor, which was, a mind is like a parachute. It only works if it's open. And I love that, because it's so simple, yet it's really profound. So open, open those parachutes. <laughs> If people do want to give um, their treasure, 
The website is caahealth.org. Thank you so much, Deidre, for your time. Always a beneficial conversation, but this topic in particular for me has been a great use of time. We appreciate you lending your time for us, and and hopefully our listeners have gotten some good um, information and good ways to give back to the community um, that we all love so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and thank you for what you all do. That was an awesome interview, um, such a timely topic, and um, that could be our cool thing, I think, in general. If we wanted to make it, it's just that interview in general, but um, we do like to end every episode with something cool, a high note, um, something we've learned, something we've seen in our community. Mine this week is our backyard garden, and not just because I can go pick some arugula and tomatoes for dinner right in my backyard, but I was out of the office out of town last week, and the garden obviously got a little out of control, overgrown, all sorts of stuff. And we were able to donate the extra produce that would have gone to waste otherwise, or we wouldn't have been able to keep up with uh, a company called Fresh Food Connect, which basically takes the excess produce that either you have in your backyard garden or um, that restaurants have and connects it to a food pantry that has it in need. So not only do you get to grow delicious food in your backyard, but you get to help out the community by donating to food pantries. So my one cool thing is Fresh Food Connect. You can find them freshfoodconnect.org if you want to. That was an extra, extra little added bonus uh, Uh, in my week being able to donate some food to those who need. All right. If you are interested in finding out more about Good and Grounded, go to goodandgrounded.com or check us out on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever else you might listen to your podcasts. And I would say that this community is pretty incredible. We have gotten the recommendations for our our guests from other strong leaders in our community. So if you hear of a good story that needs to be shared, and you know of a strong leader willing to share it, drop us a line. But go ahead and subscribe, share, and let's do some good in our Colorado communities. Thanks for joining us.